So we're continuing our study of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, chapter, uh, chapter 26. And we are starting a new section, which is very interesting. It's, it really outlines the uh, part of the, well, a large part of the process of creation and just how everything that we see in front of us comes into being, which is really uh, fascinating and very scientific and just, you know, in one sense, you could just say it makes sense. <coughs> so I'm just getting the verse here. Oma jnana timrandasya jnananjana shalakaya chakshur unmilitam yena tasmai shri gurave namaha. So we're starting with text 26. And I guess give, maybe give a little overview first. Um, so from the pradhan, which is this unmanifested uh, everything, <laughs> just kind of in an unmanifested state, Krishna glance, well, Lord Vishnu glances on it. Uh, along with time, the living entities, their karma, and and uh, then the, from from that comes the false ego, and the false ego is manifest in three sections: the um, uh, in goodness, in passion, and in ignorance. So the mind, interestingly enough, is from the mode of goodness. Mind uh, in. So from the uh, mind, from the false ego in the mode of goodness comes the mind and the demigods. And then false ego in the mode of passion uh, comes the intelligence and the active senses, right? Like the uh, legs and the genitals and the anus and uh, the arms, et cetera, et cetera. And then the knowledge-acquiring senses, which we attain knowledge from the eyes, the ears, um, uh, et cetera, <coughs> sound. So that comes, well, those senses, the, uh, not sound, sound comes from ignorance, but those senses come from the mode of passion. Uh, and then uh, sound, the subtle element ether, this, and the senses capable of perceiving sound are produced from false ego influenced by ignorance. And then this whole, the whole discussion of how this takes place. The eth from ether, the next transformation formed under the impulse of time comes air and the sensation of touch. So, so from ether, ether is connected with sound. Sound travels through the ether. Then the air, you can, you can touch the air, right? Like when it's, when it's uh, or you can feel the air with your, with your sense of touch when it's windy or something like that. Um, and then the, uh, and then the intro, then from air comes form, and form is the fire element. You actually can see fire. You don't see air. You can see the results of air when the wind is blowing, but you don't see air itself. Um, and then from, from there comes uh, taste, Right? And taste is the tongue. Um, and water is produced in that. You can taste water. And then from there comes uh, odor, which is the earth. So that's what's being kind of explained here. So this false ego, 
is characterized as the doer, as the instrument, and as an effect. It is further characterized as serene, active, or dull. So serene, mode of goodness, active, mode of passion, dull, mode of ignorance, according to how it is influenced by the modes of goodness, passion, and ignorance. And the purport, Prabhupada says, in the material world, we are producing so many things, and this is called advancement of civilization. But factually, advancement of civilization is a manifestation of the false ego. By false ego, all material things are produced as objects of enjoyment. One has to cease increasing artificial necessities in the form of material objects. So that, so, you know, society which is constantly uh, trying to, you know, the newest car and the newest, um, especially these days, the newest technological advancement, um, these are all manifestations of the false ego. So while we may use these things in Krishna's service, it's good to remember uh, the take a step back and think of things philosophically and be careful about wanting to artificially increase the necessities, right? Like these have become a necessity for many people, right? But now people are thinking that uh, Echo or Alexa, Alexa, is that her name? Is that right? Yeah, that that is uh, like something that you just need to have. I was staying with um, some devotees the other day, and they had an, uh, uh, is it an echo, echo? Is that what it's called? Yeah? And so they were saying, Alexa, play B.B. Uh, Govindamaraj Bhajan. And there you go. Alexa, what's the weather today? So um, they'll, so again, we, these things can be used in Krishna's service, but it's amazing how um, things have become a necessity. Right, where actually, ultimately, there it's an artificial necessity. Even these things didn't exist 11 years ago. Right, and still, somehow, we we had it. We lived, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So Prabhupada is just saying here that we should be careful. At least we, as devotees, when um, material things um, pass our purview we should be at least a little introspective, right? About, do I need this? Will it, can I use this in Krishna's service? Will I be dovetailing? That's a word that Prabhupada used a lot, dovetailing, using things in Krishna's service, or be it more like, uh, the joke is crow-tailing. You know, a dove is a beautiful bird, a crow is not a very beautiful bird. And will I be really just absorbed in this material thing, in this uh, artificial necessity? or can I use it in Krishna's service? So, so we should be um, thoughtful before just uh, jumping after the uh, latest invention, or the latest uh, app or whatever that comes our way. It's, we're so bombarded by it in the last few years more than ever before. Any thoughts on that? Yes, Andy, we have a microphone? Henry needs the exercise. It's a very minor thought, but 
ironically, this is the first day I brought my iPad. Yeah, I know. It's funny. I, I never that. bring it. I have it. But this is the main thing I use it for. Yeah, so that's I good. only use it for travel and reading. It's very convenient with a book. Yeah. Because you can put notes and you can uh, highlight things. Yes. Yes. What program do you use for the Prabhupada's books? I, I just, it was a download from um, the official. Right. Uh, so the database. Books is compatible with Apple. Uh-huh. Yeah, Great. so you just download it, and it works with Apple. Yeah, yeah very good. Yeah. I'll have to check it later, because somehow my wife's uh, MacBook Air, she has trouble getting it on her computer. Well, this is iOS. So. Yeah, I iOS is, oh. iOS is for phones. And, uh, yeah, that's right, it's for phones, yeah. So you see, we're having Krishna Kata. <laughs> yes, so that, but that's a good example. We can use things in Krishna's service. That's, that's fine. Um, we just have to exercise some introspection and caution because we don't want to get more entangled because the more, you know, anything we're attached to in this material world gets taken away ultimately. And even the things that we are using right now, if we're in the wrong consciousness, uh, we get so upset when they break down or, you know, we get in a car accident and, you know, or someone, you know, you know a... What is it, a, uh, you know, what do they call it when you, a bumper, what is it? Fender bender. Fender bender, yeah, fender bender, you know, and then you say, oh gosh, you know. You know. Okay. From the false ego of goodness and her transformation, uh, another transformation takes place. From this evolves the mind, like I said, false ego and goodness comes the mind, whose thoughts and reflections give rise to desire. Prabhupada writes in the beginning of the purport, the symptoms of the mind are determination and rejection, or he often says accepting and rejecting. We desire that which is favorable to our sense gratification, and we reject that which is not favorable to sense gratification. So, so, what, so this ties in very well to what we were just talking about with um, things of this world. We just change the kind of accepting and rejecting we do. Instead of here having the mind accept and reject according to sense gratification, we anukulyasya sankalpa pratikulyasya varjanam. We accept and reject according to what's favorable for our development of bhakti. So that's so it's a different kind of accepting and rejecting. So the mind is still using its uh, accepting and rejecting powers but it's basing it on Shastra and, and Krishna conscious intelligence rather than um, sense gratification. Any thoughts on that? The mind of the living entity is known by the name of Lord Aniruddha, the supreme ruler of the senses. He possesses a bluish black form resembling a lotus flower growing in the autumn. He is found slowly by yogis. And Prabhupada writes, uh, so the, uh, the Ishtadeva, the worshipful deity of yogis, is ultimately Aniruddha. And Prabhupada says, meditation upon voidness is a modern invention of the fertile brain of some speculator. And Prabhupada had that example when he was in uh, the early days in New York. Right, he uh, stayed at Dr. Mishra's place, who was a uh, this kind of 
meditation he prescribed. And instead, instead, Prabhupada writes, actually, the process of yoga meditation is described in, as prescribed in this verse should be fixed upon the form of aniruta, which is another form of Vishnu or Krishna. By meditating on aniruta, one can become free from the agitation of accepting and rejecting. Because it is an agitation, because that's what we, the mind is agitated constantly, accepting and rejecting. And then it accepts and rejects differently according to the modes that influence us. Right? Someone who's really in the mode of passion or ignorance is a certain kind of music that they would accept and reject. They might reject Mozart and accept something else. And then someone more in the mode of goodness may accept something like Mozart or Beethoven, you know, some classical music, uh, or, um, and reject you know, um, whatever, hip-hop or something like that. Um, so we have different kinds of accepting and rejecting, or foodstuffs, for example, right? Some of us really like spicy food. Some people, we won't even mention, but like all kinds of you know, animal products. And then some people like, you know, gulab jamans. So, so the accepting and the rejecting in the mind is affected by the modes of material nature that we're in. But, Regardless of what it is, if it's material, if it's not connected for the yogi with Aniruddha, if it's not connected with Krishna consciousness, then it'll be on the material platform. Yeah. Anything on that? Yes. Hare Krishna. I was trying to find a reference. So, like, you know, the personalities identified here, that from Krishna came Vasudev, then Sankarshan, right. then Pradyumna, and Aniruddha. And it was in the first canto, chapter 5, where Devashi Narad is having a conversation with Vyasdev. He reveals that these four personalities help Lord Krishna in the material world with all his pastimes. Yes, you also find in the Chaitanya Charitamrita a yeah, pretty nice. full discussion. Yes, thank it you. Really nice. By transformation of false ego in passion, ignorance, uh, in ignorance, intelligence takes birth, O virtuous lady. The functions of intelligence are to help in ascertaining the nature of objects when they come into view and to help the senses. There's more about intelligence in the next verse, so I'm going to go to that. But um, it's just, you know, it's always interesting that devotees find it when they read this for the first time. They think, I thought intelligence would be in goodness and the mind would be in passion. Right? But actually, when the, when the mind is peaceful, it's just that we don't experience that too often. <laughs> It's actually a very simple thing, the mind. It accepts and rejects. By, but what is it accepting? We, we said the modes of material nature a minute ago. We could also say, really, it accepts and rejects based on um, the false ego. Who we think we are will determine what we accept and what we reject. But the intelligence is a scheming thing, the planning and scheming, and, and thinks more about the future and the past, right? uh, or, or especially scheming for the future. So that's more passion. Uh, doubt, misapprehension, correct apprehension, memory, and sleep, as determined by their different functions, are said to be the distinct characteristics of intelligence. Prabhupada writes, this is a very important statement here, Doubt is one of the important functions of intelligence. 
blind acceptance of something does not give evidence of intelligence. Therefore, the word shangshaya is very important. In order to cultivate intelligence, one should be doubtful in the beginning. But doubting is not very favorable when information is received from the proper source. In Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says that doubting the words of the authority is the cause of destruction. So, so doubting is good because there's so, you know, there's so many bogus things in this world. Right? So having a little precaution is, uh, or even a lot, is, is favorable until we come in touch with the real deal. Then, uh, we're, then <clears throat> it's, there's kind of an adjustment of the use of the intelligence when one decides that they want to surrender to Krishna and follow the instructions in the Shastra. It's, um, it's going from doubting the scriptures or the, or the Krishna's teachings to um, trying to understand how they are true instead of whether they're true. That makes sense? So trying to understand them. So that, that's up to us. That's an individual thing when we decide that, yes, this is, I, you know, I, I don't have, I can't fully understand everything in the Shastra, but, every, you know, but, I, but my, by my practice, uh, my initial practices of bhakti yoga and hearing from devotees and seeing their example, et cetera, et cetera, I'm convinced enough that I want to surrender to Krishna. Then, we, then the, the uh, function of the intelligence takes a different uh, manifestation. Um, our doubts, we may have doubts both times, but one is really doubting whether this is true or not, but, or doubting how is that true? Like that, does that make sense? And it's our choice whether to do that. But, you know, doubting when you actually come in touch with something very real and, and truthful, then doubting that is not favorable. Some thoughts on that? Hare Krishna, sorry to be consecutively. No, it's all right. Two in a row. So, uh, so again, you'd mentioned that mode of material nature, how they act, also influence how, you know, what we accept and what we reject. Yes. So that's why Srila Prabhupada was so much into forcing that everyone should rise to the mode of goodness so that in that mode you know what is right versus what is wrong because when you doubt, you may doubt the right thing in the mode of ignorance and accept, uh, you know, reject it while you yeah. can doubt, you know, accept the wrong thing because of the mode of ignorance. Yeah, the influence. absolutely. So it's very important that, yes, while we use our intelligence, we need to also come to that standard to be able to doubt correctly. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. Prabhupada goes on to say, by intelligence only, this is in the second paragraph, second sentence, by intelligence only, can one can understand things as they are. By intelligence only, one can understand whether or not he is the body. So the point here is, that knowledge, most of us, most of what we, uh, uh, Shabda, we, we get knowledge descending from the scriptures, from Krishna's words. But by our intelligence, we can actually come to understand we're not our body. We can get that far if we're really in, in the mode of goodness and really 
trying to understand this world. It's not easy, especially in this age. And then Prabhupada even talks about the need for sleep. Smriti means memory, and swap, uh, swapa means sleep. Sleep is also necessary to keep the intelligence in working order. If there is no sleep, the brain cannot work nicely. Has anyone have that experience? When you're sleep deprived, you just kind of, kind of feels like Play-Doh up there in the brain, something like that, right? You know, that's why it's actually not a good idea to do all-nighters when you're in college and taking an exam. It's actually better to get a really good night's rest. And uh, this is something that comes up a lot, again, in ISKCON circles, because in the Bhagavad Gita, which is the book that's read the most by devotees, Prabhupada says that anything over six hours in the mode of ignorance, right? Influenced by ignorance, I think, is the exact words. <clears throat> but in many other places, several other places, he says six to eight. So there's some leeway there. You know, there's one statement in the Gita, but there's statements elsewhere. Um, and, and I think I've mentioned this before that when I had, whenever I, I uh, when I was kind of a uh, manager in temples, and if a devotee had to drive a long distance, I would insist they got eight hours sleep. Because it's not, <laughs> the last thing you want to do is fall asleep at the wheel. So we do need sufficient rest to, uh, you know, if we're very advanced, the, the idea of the six Goswamis or Srila Prabhupada himself of not sleeping much was that it was a natural byproduct of their devotion. It wasn't so much a separate endeavor. Uh, Srila Prabhupada would say things like, oh, you know, I just, he, I, he just didn't like sleep because it meant for that period of time he wasn't serving Krishna. Right, so a natural byproduct of his bhakti was cutting down on eating and sleeping. Um, in the sadhana stage, in our stage, we have to weigh that with the points that are made here, that you need enough rest, and especially if you're doing things like driving or running machinery or just anything that you know, could be really dangerous if you're not getting enough rest. Um, yeah, and the idea, if we can, is to be regulated. In the sixth chapter of the Gita, uh, Krishna says, yukta hara viharasya, yukta chaistasya kamasu, yukta svabhavodasya, yoga bhavati dukaha. Something about yoga also, which is here in Sankhya, um, that one should be temperate in their habits of eating, sleeping, working, and recreation. Mm, so we should get exercise. Um, Vishnav Chakravarti Thakur says that for a devotee, one of the best exercises is walking. Walking, yeah. So we can get a, a pedometer like this one or get a Fitbit or whatever, not that I'm advertising for any particular company, and see if we can get 10,000 steps a day. Things like that's good to, because we do, we want to, this body is meant uh, for Krishna's service. So we should take good, take care of it. Not pamper it, but take care of it. Somebody lost their, their clip-ons? Okay. Yeah, best is just leave it there. Someone will probably figure out where it is. Uh, any thoughts on any of this? Sleep or memory or intelligence? No? 
Pretty straightforward, yes. Yeah, there's some tricky parts. Egotism in the mode of passion produces two kinds of senses, so we mentioned this. The senses for acquiring knowledge and the senses of action. The senses of action depend on the vital energy and the senses for acquiring knowledge depend on intelligence. Prabhupada writes that in this verse, it is the second paragraph, it is clear that both kinds of senses, the senses of acquiring knowledge and the senses for action, are products of egotism in the mode of passion. So what are the, what are the five knowledge acquiring senses? Eyes, ears, skin for the touch, tongue, and we're missing one, nose, yeah, for smell, right, okay. So those are governed by intelligence. When egotism and ignorance is agitated by the sex energy of the Supreme Personality of God, this subtle element the subtle element sound is manifested, and from sound comes the ethereal sky and the sense of hearing. Prophet writes in the purport, it appears from this verse that all the objects of our sense gratification are products of egotism, egoism in ignorance. So the idea is that sense objects are born of from ignorance, the, well, false ego uh, influenced by egoism and ignorance, as Prabhupada writes here. So, um, what are the sense objects, the five sense objects? No, not the, not the senses, the sense objects. No, those are the, um, the elements. Sense objects would be touch. Just think of each of the five senses we just did, right? Yeah, hearing, smelling, tasting, seeing. Okay, so those are the five sense objects. Wow, we got the whole family here today. Uh, and, um, and they're born from uh, false ego influenced by ignorance, in the mode of ignorance, okay? And then you're right, also, uh, earth, water, fire, air, ether, those are also born uh, false ego, false ego ignor and ignorance. Okay, so, so we're, we're getting a picture of the 24. 10, we just said, in ignorance, right? The five sense objects, touch, taste, etc. The five uh, mahabhuta, the five gross manifestations, earth, water, fire, air, ether. And then influence in, ign in passion, what were the ones in passion? working senses and the knowledge acquiring senses and one other thing uh, okay I I intelligence yeah intelligence and then in goodness mind and the demigods okay so that's there we got that we have the whole creation no we don't because there's no God there <laughs> that we're getting to. Okay. It appears from this verse that all these objects are the sense. Uh, okay. It is understood from this verse that
that by agitation of the element of egoism and ignorance, the first thing produced was sound, which is a subtle form of ether. And then a little later, the entire material manifestation began from sound, and sound can also end material entanglement if it has a partic particular potency. The particular sound capable of doing this is the transcendental vibration of Hare Krishna. Our entanglement in material affairs has begun from material sound. Now we must purify that sound in spiritual understanding. There, so, so sound kind of got us here and sound can get us out. Um, but also, so therefore, again, that accepting and rejecting in Krishna consciousness means accepting sound that is favorable and rejecting sound that is unfavorable, right? So everyone, you know, one of the most powerful things in this world is music, right? It, it, it you know, they say it like stirs the soul, right? It can really move us. So therefore we should be careful what kind of music we listen to, right? If we listen to Bollywood tunes, we get in a certain conscious, or Tollywood, if you're from the South, <laughs> right? The Tollywood is in Telugu, right? Telugu or Tamil? No, Telugu, yeah, right? Telugu, yeah, okay. So there's Tollywood, there's Bollywood, and there's Hollywood, <laughs> right? And then there's, you know, uh, all kind of, or there's bhajans and kirtans, right? and uh, Krishna conscious sound. So part of being a devotee is just, one of the major parts of being a devotee is simply choosing what we listen to. It's as easy as that. It's not very complicated actually. Because hearing and chanting as we know has such potency to affect our consciousness. Prabhupada therefore says, now we must purify that sound in spiritual understanding. There is sound in the spiritual world also. We still, even though we're devotees and we read about Goloka, Vrindavan, still we may not, you know, it's like, oh, it just seems so far away. So it's hard to kind of close our eyes and just understand that right now there's all these things going on in the spiritual world. Unlimited things going on right now in the spiritual world. If we approach that sound, <clears throat> then our spiritual life begins and the other requirements for spiritual advancement can be supplied. We have to understand very clearly that sound is the beginning of the, the creation of all material objects for our sense gratification. Similarly, if sound is purified, our spiritual necessities also are produced from sound. Because sound is the first um, sense object that's created. So that's how we say we got in this mess by sound and we can get out of this mess by sound. It's kind of like the example in the Shastras, you have a thorn in your leg and you take it out with another thorn. So sound got us in this mess and sound can get us out of this mess. How's your ankle? 93%, very good, okay. Maybe by the end of class it'll be 94. 
So any some thoughts on sound, Jeeva? Uh, somebody yeah. asked me this question. I do not have an answer for this. I'm still researching. They say we hear these voices in our mind, right? Uh-huh. So is that the sound we are referring to, or was, was it it? Well, it's a subtle sound. You know, it's not, you're not hearing it so much with your ear yes. as your mind. But we also, when we hear through our, what is probably called olfactory sense, that's what he calls it, right? Um, it doesn't just enter this tunnel thing here, but it actually affects the consciousness. Oh, olfactory is the nose. Yeah, oral, yes, thank you. Thank you. I, I get those fancy words mixed up. Uh, shows that I was not meant to be a doctor. <laughs> um, so, right, so sound doesn't just affect, you know, the, the, what the actual going into the ear, right? but it actually affects the consciousness, it affects the mind. And we know that, right? When we, when we hear a really, when we hear a good class or we hear something from Shastra, at least for some time, hopefully longer, uh, we remember it and it affects the way we behave. It affects our consciousness. So therefore, kirtaniya uh, sadahari, Lord Chaitanya said, so the easiest thing to do is just always be chanting Krishna's name and then your consciousness will always be, you'll be in good spiritual consciousness. So those voices, that, those voices in, I mean, voices in the brain, in the head, I mean, that sounds almost like something that should be diagnosed, you know, right? But we just say thoughts. Thoughts, I think, is a better way to, to explain it. So our thoughts uh, can be in any, at least 8,400,000 different ways, or the other one way, Krishna. <laughs> And even, even in Krishna consciousness, of course, there's different levels of thoughts, right? There's sadhana bhakti, there's bhava bhakti, and there's prema bhakti. You expecting an important call? Yeah, there's something going. Krishna's talking on the altar? Oh, I see. Hare okay. Krishna. All right. Um, <clears throat> you were going to say something, Andy? Yeah. Uh, I'll use the mic, though. Like uh, from the language here in the purport, the Prabhupada was a little less assertive than usual. Like before, you remember he was saying, it is clear that such and such, sometimes he'll tell you definitely, which is what we want to hear. But here, the construction, he says, it appears from this verse. It's kind of passive, right? So it, it seems like he, even he is having... Uh, <laughs> A little bit well, of trouble grappling with the, the complexity. I wouldn't necessarily uh, say his English constructs oh. uh, reflect his consciousness. Yeah, probably not. It I wasn't think I'd be a little language. Care, I'd be a little careful about that. But um, it appears from this verse that all the objects of our sense gratification are the products of egoism and ignorance. Did it work? Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. I was hearing voices. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> right. um, sometimes he would just use that construct. Okay. So but it's also a very nice way to say it in some ways. It appears well, from this verse. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a little easier on the ego sometimes. Than yeah. Just, <laughs> you know? Yes. And then in the next line, he said, "It is understood from this verse." Yeah. It could also be that he's. I, I don't want to. 
predicate is mine. Yeah. It could also be, though, that you know, he may be saying that you know, this may not be in our day-to-day -day experience, but we can understand from this verse. But I had one other little thing. Okay. This idea of subtle and gross, it comes up over and over again. And it's, for me, it's, it's hard to completely understand because it's hard to think of sound really as being uh, subtle. It, to me, it would be more of a gross thing. But it's back and forth with a subtle and gross. So any, anything that comes up, if you well, can just Well, what, it, what it is <laughs> is uh, they're called, gosh, you really, uh, I hope I'm saying all the right things here. They're called tanmatra, right? Anyone know tanmatra? Yeah. And so they're the. Um, well, who is who is the philosopher they call it? They're they're like the philosophized. In other words. Yeah. Right. Because because they're just the they're just the the idea of sound, of taste, of touch, of smell. They're 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 not. Uh, they're in a greater sense than just like Hare Krishna. That's sound. The universal right? idea. Yeah, the universal idea. Yes, yes. Okay. So that's why the word subtle. Is that all right? Yeah. Okay. I have more layman term, layman term question, Prabhu. So sound, uh, it's become part of the life that uh, it's all, we are always in a constant sound. That's what I feel. There's always like fan or like a heater or... No, there is no silence at all, um, and we got so much influenced with it. Uh, and uh, even if there is a silence, that like we are, we I, I particularly felt that we are completely lost. Uh, means there is no sound or nothing. Then like, you no, know, it's like something completely missing or something like that. Uh, sound has so much influence, like based on this uh, verses. It is the beginning, and through sound only we can get out. Um, and uh, you know, uh, I, I'm just struck there that particular moment, like when there was winds and like power was lost, and like I <laughs> you can could hear a lot of things. <laughs> I can feel a complete silence, and uh, that's that's a good feeling, but we cannot sustain there also. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're Simon and Garfunkel, you have the sounds of silence. <laughs> but uh, silence, um, probably wasn't too keen on silence. He said, better to fill the silence with the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. Right? But let's practice your theory for a second. Let's, not, let's see what else we hear. What did you hear? <laughs> oh, there's some sounds. What? Tarnamrit, yeah. You heard the birds? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's uh, sound like you're saying is 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 all pervasive pretty much. There's always some sound. So we should fill it with Krishna conscious sound. Pretty simple. Let's move on because we're, we're, I really wanted to finish this chapter and we're like, whoa, 37 verses away from that. Persons who are learned and who have true knowledge define sound as that which conveys the idea of an object, right? Like paper, right? iPhone, microphone, right? They're just sound 
they're subtle, but they represent something gross. Uh, indicates the presence of the speaker screened from our view and constitutes the subtle form of ether. Prabhupada writes, every word we, ha we hear has a meaning behind it. As soon as we hear the word water, there is a substance water behind the word. Similarly, as soon as we hear the word God, there is a meaning to it. If we receive that meaning and explanation of God from God himself, then it is perfect. But if we speculate about the meaning of God, it is imperfect. So again, the idea of choosing what we hear and from whom we hear the sound is, is essential. And therefore, Krishna says, evam param para praptam imam rajarsayo vidu. We have to hear in disciplic succession from Krishna the knowledge passed down through disciplic succession. The activities and characteristics of the ethereal element can be observed as accommodation for the room for the external and internal existences of all living entities, namely the field of activities of the vital air, the senses, and the mind. From the ethereal existence, which evolves from sound, the next transformation takes place under the impulse of time and thus the subtle element touch and thence the air and the sense of touch becomes prominent. So here's one after another the elements being produced. Softness and hardness and cold and heat are the distinguishing attributes of touch which is characterized as a subtle form of air. The action of the air is exhibited in movements, mixing, allowing approach, allowing approach to the objects of sound and other sense perceptions and providing for the proper functioning of all other senses. Uh, and it's interesting in some of these purports, Srila Prabhupada refers to Ayurveda and talks about how a lot of these different elements are considered in Ayurveda, that uh, in this purport he says that um, paralysis, nervous breakdowns, madness, and many other diseases are actually due to the insufficient circulation of air in the body. In the Ayurvedic system, these diseases are treated on the basis of air circulation. And from the beginning, one takes care of the process of air circulation, such diseases cannot take place. So. He refers to that in several places, Ayurveda. By interaction of the air and the sensations of touch, one receives different forms according to destiny. By evolution of such forms, there is fire, and the eye sees different forms in color. <clears throat> My dear mother, the characteristic of form are, characteristics of form are understood by dimension, quality, and individuality. The form of fire is appreciated by its effulgence. Fire is appreciated by its light and by its ability to cook, digest, to destroy cold, to evaporate, and to give rise to hunger, thirst, eating, and drinking. And Prabhupada in the purport again talks about Ayurveda, how you need a fire in the stomach to digest. Has anyone ever had that experience when you when you just can't digest something, right? And you just you lose your hunger, and you just like, 
whatever you're eating just feels like it's sitting in your stomach because there's no fire of digestion to, you know, we would say, I, I guess they would say the different acids that are in the stomach that help uh, the process. <clears throat> but uh, the Bhagavatam talks about it as a fire of digestion. By the interaction of fire and the visual sensation, the subtle element taste evolves under a superior arrangement. From taste, water is produced, and the tongue, which perceives taste, is also manifested. This is, again, the creation, scientific creation. Although originally one, taste becomes manifest as astringent, sweet, bitter, pungent, sour, and salty due to contact with other substances. The characteristics of water are exhibited by its moistening other substances, coagulating various mixtures, causing satisfaction, maintaining life, softening things, right? Water softens things, doesn't it? Driving away heat, incessantly supplying itself to reservoirs of water, and refreshing by slacking thirst. And Prabhupada quotes that uh, in the Vedas it is said, apomaya prana, life depends on water. So if we, if we think about one way, uh, as you know, we're hearing this details about how the uh, parts of creation takes place, <clears throat> it would be good, I think one realization that we can get out of this is on one hand how dependent we are on Krishna, uh, the form of his creation, in the form of these five objects, uh, water, uh, fire, earth, Earth, water, fire, air, ether, um, and how grateful we should be, right? In the uh, <clears throat> purport here, like just like for example, anyone here uh, uh, does any cooking? Anyone here ever made a chapati or a puri or bread? Yeah, okay. Ladies never cook chapatis or puris or bread? All right. <clears throat> so, uh, um, I'll ask one of you, how hard would it be to make a chapati or a puri or bread without water? If you just had the flour? Impossible, right? <clears throat> Prabhupada says that in the purport, flour dough can be prepared with a mixture of water. And if you didn't have the flour, which comes from the earth, then <clears throat> so <clears throat> just think of what you had for breakfast today. <clears throat> Did, uh, uh, do we owe any debt <clears throat> to the Lord for that? <clears throat> Was there water involved in anything you ate today? Even milk comes from the water in the ground. Of course, yeah. Right? Um, did, do, was the earth involved in anything you ate today? Right? Um, yeah, and... The car that you drove in, did the elements just pop up? They came from the earth, right? The aluminum, the steel, all that comes from the earth. So the glasses that we wear, the phones that we have, the mardangas that we play, the computers that we use, our clothing, we would all be without clothes if it wasn't for earth, combination of earth, water, fire. Here, can you imagine what, if you didn't have fire, some people say, oh, you have a raw diet. But um, 
the manifestation of, imagine living in, um, well, living here would speak of in a place like, you know, Michigan or Canada without fire, right? Or living in um, South India without water. Right? There's this discussion of what is that city in um, South Africa that may have run out of water? Cape Town, I think it is, right? And it's a big deal. Now, now they put, it was going to be April, now they pushed it to July or something. But just imagine, <clears throat> like you probably you were saying, what, how many of you were out of electricity for some time during the windstorm? Only? No, only us. We, we here, the temple was, and where we were living for about six hours. What? No internet, yes. The internet comes right after water, yes. Internet is, a, is yeah, it's kind of a subtle energy, isn't it? Right? I mean, the internet is all over this room right now, right? If you go to uh, your browser, there's uh, ISKCON Guest, ISKCON Residence, then Xfinity Wi-Fi, and then HP Print 9.9 Office Jet Pro, and then Home Dash 2. All these things, you don't see them, but they're definitely there, right? And they manifest through this computer, right? I, you know, I can uh, find out the weather or whatever, the news, through that energy that we can't even see. So we're so dependent, completely dependent, for just about everything. Just on these things, what to speak of God, just these elements that he created, earth, water, fire, air, ether. No ether, there'd be no sound. Imagine what life would be like without sound. No air, there would be no touch. Imagine life without touch. So we're really, uh, so, so we can get, we can, uh, and that's what Kapila, the la very last verse of this chapter, Kapila Dave is going to bring it all to devotional service, you know, to the uh, purport of uh, Sankhya philosophy. But even while studying Sankhya, we can uh, have devotional um, sentiments come up. Any thoughts on this? My thoughts were, uh, without reading the scriptures, uh, we might not even think, uh, particularly, no, we might not even think that God has been giving so many gifts and we are enjoying it. Um, exactly. So that's another debt we have. We're very indebted. We're like always indebted. Even uh, when someone asks you, Prabhupada, how can we repay our debt to you? And Prabhupada said, it was, actually, it's impossible to do it. But then he said, but if you want to try, and preach vigorously like I am doing, that's what he said. Due to the interaction of water with the taste perception, the subtle element odor evolves under superior arrangement. Thence, the earth and the, there it is, the olfactory sense, by which we can variously experience the aroma of the earth become manifest. Odor, although one, becomes many as mixed offensive, fragrant, mild, strong, acidic, and so on, according to the proportions of associated substances. And Prabhupada talks about there's filthy places that have bad odors, good smells, and he uses the example of camphor, methyl, menthol, um, and then pungent smells like garlic and onions, acidic like turmeric. Oh, no, it's turmeric is... Oh, sour, he says also. Yes, yeah, sour. Um, anyway, so 
you know, we talked about this last week, that Earth is such an amazing thing. We say, Earth, you know, just you take a clump of dirt, it doesn't seem to smell very great. But, you know, you take a rose, just the seed of a rose bush, you put it in water, you put it, water has no seemingly odor. The Earth seems to have no odor, and then up comes this rose bush that has an amazing odor. And then you take, you take a different seed of a different flower, and you have a champak tree, and these beautiful. So the, the potency of odor is there in the earth. So I have one. Yeah? The earth also has odor. Uh, means like when you uh, walk in a field or something, when it rains particularly, uh, and then there is an odor comes out from the earth, like you can feel that smell. It is so nice. Mm, yeah. It's said like a person. Did you live in the big city when you grew up? The characteristic of the functions of earth can be perceived by modeling forms of the supreme Brahman, by constructing places of residence, by oh, we forgot to say that without, could you imagine, uh, could you build your house without water? What is, what are bricks, <laughs> do bricks need water? <laughs> yeah, and fire? So, so we would be, we would have no clothing, we would have no house, <laughs> we'd not be able to eat anything, We'd not be able to drink anything. We'd be lost completely. <clears throat> By preparing pots to, to contain water, etc. In other words, the earth is a place of sustenance for all elements. Text 47. The sense whose object of perception is sound is called the auditory sense. That's what we were looking for before. And that whose object of perception is touch is called the tactile sense. The sense whose object of perception is form, the distinctive characteristic of fire is the sense of sight. So this is a summary of everything we just heard. The sense whose object of perception is taste, the distinctive characteristic of water, is known as the sense of taste. That's the idea, he's probably using that word, Andy, the sense of taste in the more global use of that. Finally, the sense whose object of perception is odor, the distinctive characteristic of earth, is called the sense of smell. So those last two verses basically summarize everything we've covered today. Since the cause exists in its effect as well, the characteristics of the former are observed in the latter. That is why the peculiarities of all the elements exist in the earth alone. So in the purport, Prabhupada says, uh, yeah, how the earth has all the qualities of the others. The earth has all five qualities of the elements. Water has four, fire has three, air has two, and the sky has only one quality, sound. Um, okay, so what, we're on verse 50. So now we're going to hear a little, I know that this is a trick, you know, this is a tricky um, chapter. It's, it's a very detailed chapter about creation of material existence. Um, so let's read a bit of a summary. Hmm. Oh boy, let's see. I'll have to, um, give me a second here. And just listen to the different noises that you hear while we're doing this.
So this is from text 50 to the end of the chapter. Uh, and I'm going to read something from Burry Jump Prabhu's book, which hopefully will help us understand what's going on. So here's the Lord enters the universe and manifests his universal form. So universal form is always one of those tricky things, right, that we're trying to grasp. So let's see if this helps a little. Um, I know it is a little complicated. These newly created elements, so those are the elements we just heard, right? Earth, water, fire, air, ether, and uh, etc. Exist, but remain separate in the Mahatattva. The Lord himself, the origin of the creative creation process, then expands and enters each universe as Garbhodzakshai Vishnu, as the time, as our karma, and as the total material energy, and the three modes of material nature. So it's a whole kitri. Thus, the universe, which was previously floating as a seed on the Garbhodaksh ocean, begins to form. So, um, in the second canto, we heard a lot about how the Virat Purusha, or the universal form, is imaginary. I don't know if you remember, that was like another lifetime ago when we were studying that, right? Um, but this chapter describes it as an incarnation of the Lord. And the relationship, this is, okay, so follow this, okay, this is the main, the main point. Krishna's relationship with the universal form is similar to the soul, our relationship to the subtle body. Mind, intelligence, and ego. That makes sense? Or can you follow that a little bit? Okay. <laughs> the Lord's relationship with, uh, um, with Garbhodakshai Vishnu being the soul and the, the life-giving force of each material universe, and the Virat Rupa being the universal subtle body, and then this world being the gross body. Okay, so it's a subtle conceptual uh, uh, element. Mm. So are you ready? Put your seatbelts on. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, detailed stuff. With all these elements were unmixed, the supreme personality of God at the origin of creation, along with time, work, and the qualities of the modes of material nature, and we read this, right? Enter into the universe with a total material energy in seven divisions. So the seven divisions are the five material elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether, and then the false ego and the Mahatattva. Okay. From these seven principles, um, roused into activity and united by the presence of the Lord, an unintelligent egg arose from which appeared the celebrated cosmic being. So here Prabhupada writes that in sex life, the combination of matter from the parents, which, which involves Emulsification and secretion creates the situation whereby a soul is received within matter, and the combination of matter gradually develops into a complete body. The same principle exists in the material creation. The ingredients were present, but only when the Lord entered into the material elements was matter actually agitated. That is the cause of creation. So the idea, the simple point that life comes from life. Right. Um, 
It's, it's the, one of the most basic teachings in the Vedic literature, right? That uh, just like, you know, the, the simple thing of the difference between one who's uh, living and one who's no longer living. What is the difference? The body seems very similar from one moment to the next, but ultimately the soul has left that body. And that, that's what energizes it. And also that's what attracts us. Right? We're not attracted to uh, a dead body, but we're attracted to the living body because of the soul's presence there. Hmm. So this goes on and on. And I don't think I'm going to read every, every, perp, every translation because I asked you to do that for homework. But um, I will read, I'd like to skip to verse 70, well, no, 71. When a man is sleeping, all his material assets, namely the vital energy, the senses for recording knowledge, the senses for working, the mind and the intelligence cannot arouse him. He can be aroused only when the super soul helps him. Report. In the explanation of Sankhya philosophy is described here in detail in the sense that the Virat Purusha, or the universal form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is the original source of all the various sense organs and their presiding deities. The relationship between the Virat Purusha and the presiding deities or the living entities is so intricate that simply by exercising the sense organs which are related to their presiding deities, the Virat Purusha cannot be aroused. It is not possible to arouse the Virat Purusha or to link with the Supreme Absolute Personality of Godhead by material activities. Only by devotional service and detachment can one perform the process of linking with the Absolute. So there was this whole description before about all these different things that didn't awaken the Virat Purusha. But then, when Krishna enters as a super soul, then, so that's the, the point here that uh, how do we connect with the Supreme? Um, it's not through material activities. It's through devotion. And through linking with the Supreme Personality of God through devotion. Um, and then in text 72, which summarizes the whole chapter, therefore through devotion, detachment, and advancement in spiritual knowledge acquired through concentrated devotional service, one should contemplate that super soul as present in this very body, although simultaneously apart from it. So this is the, the sum and substance of everything we hear. We just heard. This is the conclusion. Right? So through devotion, detachment, virakti, viraktiya, and jnana, spiritual knowledge. And this is basically... What we just heard with this verse basically summarizes everything about Sankhya philosophy. <clears throat> Prabhupada writes when one, in the second paragraph, when one is detached from the attraction of material prosperity, one can actually concentrate his mind upon the super soul. In other words, when we're really absorbed in material thoughts and this and that, it's really hard to focus that, the fact that God is in our heart and that we have a relationship with him. Right? As long as the mind is distracted towards the material, there is no possibility of concentrating 
one's mind and intelligence upon the Supreme Personality of Godhead, or the context of this chapter, his partial representation, the Supersoul. In other words, one cannot concentrate one's mind and energy upon the Supreme unless one is detached from the material world. So this is a really, really important point that, uh, you know, some, some spiritualists will uh, kind of say you can have your cake and eat it too, right? Um, you can if that's what Krishna arranges in your life, but there's, there's even like these certain um, places, they call them prosperity churches. Have you ever heard of that? Prosperity churches? Yeah, they, that, that uh, they preach the idea that, you know, if you've come to this church and, you know, your, your relationship with Jesus is such that uh, you should be, you should have everything you want, everything you want and more. Uh, and that's what real spirituality should grant you. Um, that's not what the Bhagavatam says. <laughs> it's, it's, quite, it's quite different. Um, and, it, and it's my reading of the Bible, it's also quite different. And Jesus was really uh, a t renounced person. He was a very renounced person. Um, and he, there's times when he said, you know, you have to set aside even your family relations to come, to come with me. He would say things like, like that, right? So um, the, the sense, what is it? Sense gratification and self-realization go ill together, Prabhupada mentions in one place. So we um, should be, like we said in the beginning of class, we should use material things our phones, our computers, and this and that, but really be careful to use them uh, in Krishna's service and not to have this huge distraction because we, it, you know, there's just so many distractions in this world. Uh, and the attraction, it, it has a glitter to it. So to make advancement in spiritual practices is, is a challenge in the life that we live here in, you know, the USA, but it's, but it's possible because Krishna is all attractive. Any other process, forget about it, right? To be a gani, a paka gani, you can't be a householder, for example. You have to be a renunciate. To be a yogi, you have to be a renunciate. You have to. Only bhakti yoga allows you to, you know, um, live a life, have, I mean, have a job and this and that, and married and kids and all that, and make rapid spiritual advancement because um, uh, we're depending not on our own strength but on the attractive qualities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then the last part of this, Prabhupada says, the analytic study of the elements of material nature and the concentration of the mind upon the Supersoul are the sum and substance of the Sankhya philosophical system. The perfection of the Sankhya Yoga culminates in devotional service unto the absolute truth. So in the last two sentences, Prabhupada gives the purport of the entire chapter, which got into a lot of details about the universal form on one hand and the creation of the different elements on the other hand. So some discussion on all this. Andy? Where's the mic? <laughs> yeah, I think, well, 
one comment I have, which might not sound that good, is that we always try to accentuate the positive here. So it's kind of like a pep rally. But even though you can have um, realization of Krishna with, with just chanting, but it's only under the right conditions. Because there, you also need the meditation. And that's why they're saying if you have a lot, if you have a lot of mundane conversations, that will steal your ability to contemplate this thing that you're going to be able to find by uh, chanting. So you can still subvert it uh, <coughs> by not having the right conditions. Well, that's interesting. Um, I'm not sure what you mean by the right conditions. Um, well, if you're always talking about baseball games and I mean continuously oh, yeah. and not really thinking about giving time, that will displace the ability to contemplate, which which right. arises from chanting. Yeah. Right. So uh, yes. Yeah, so the the right conditions is just chanting. Just taking the time to chant, or to read the Shastra, or to associate with devotees, or to take prasadam, or to worship the deity. Um, but the, the, you know, Lord Chaitanya says really clearly that there's no hard and fast rules for chanting. So chanting, everyone, but not chanting alone, because it's like you were saying, if you just come to this church and just a member of the congregation, you'll get everything you want in life. It's chanting, but I think there's other components that uh, you could subvert your chanting with if you spend all your other time there, the wrong way. <laughs> yes, well, there's, uh, there, there's a verse that says, Sarva vidhi nished hashur etayor eva kinkara. And what that means is that there's all kinds of uh, vidhi and nishedas, do's and don'ts. You know, just like when you enter the temple, you, you bow down, right? You take the charnamrita that uh, bathed the murtis of the Lord. You um, you take prasadam. You you know you do service. You set up the chairs before class. You know you do all those things, and those things are um, kinkaras or servants to the basic principle of always remembering Krishna and never forgetting him. That's what that verse says. And then in this age, the easiest way to always remember Krishna is by chanting his name. So yes, the, so yes, you know, it's, it's, for most of us, we're not chanting uh, um, 192 rounds. Is that how many uh, Haridas Thakur chanted? Yeah, that would take care of things. That would take care of things, yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, would, that would definitely take care of a lot of things. <laughs> um, but you should just chant 64 rounds a day, no problem. Okay, um, benediction for you. Uh, so we, so therefore, when we're doing other things in our life, we want to make, again, back to that same thing we've been, kind of the theme of this class, we want to do things in a favorable way and avoid things that are unfavorable. So that, though, that also takes two, you could say two different categories. Sometimes it's described as three, but for simplicity's sake, let's make it two. That those things that are called surup, siddhi, bhakti, in other words, things that are directly connecting us with the spiritual potency. So that is reading the Srimad Bhagavatam, chanting Krishna's name, seeing the deities or worshiping the deities, taking prasadam, uh, associating with devotees. Those are directly spiritual activities and they have this incredible potency. And we have to be careful to try to plug into those sarup siddhi bhakti as much as we can. And then there's aropya siddhi bhakti which is 
doing things in this world, uh, but connecting that with Krishna's service. And then, I guess there is a third category, and then when we're not doing anything that kind of seems totally bhakti-related, have that be in the mode of goodness. So mode of goodness includes, let's say, keeping our, where we live clean, um, when we, when we um, interact with other people, we, we do it in a very pleasing way. We're not rough with them. We're, very, we're, uh, we're, not, we're at least kind, if not compassionate as well, right? Um, and, and being regulated is a part of being in the mode of goodness. You know, you try to go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time every day, do certain activities. Because when, um, when you get in a routine, you don't have to spend much mental energy thinking about that routine. Right, that's the idea. 45% of our life, they say, is habits. And if there wasn't habits, imagine how, what our life would be like. Right? You get up in the morning, everything. Now what? Hmm. I think I read somewhere you're supposed to brush your teeth. Right? And I guess it's good to put on clothes. And, you know, right? You know, if we, so habits, uh, so, so devotees try to cultivate uh, regulation of good habits. And then, because you don't have, when, you're, when you're doing something habitually, you don't have to spend a lot of mental energy on it. And then you can spend more mental energy thinking of Krishna. Like that. So there's Surup Siddhi Bhakti, Aropius, and then just trying to cultivate the mode of goodness. And as you're saying, the, the, um, the other side of the coin of cultivating the mode of goodness is avoiding the mode of passion and ignorance. Treating people roughly being unkind, um, being messy, um, being uh, always, you know, uh, running from, what is it, from pillar to post, is that the saying? Right, always, you know, uh, right, you know you can tell of somebody in the mode of passion. At work, what is it like? What is the first thing that most people say, how you doing? And they say? Okay, they say great. They also often say really busy, don't they? Oh, so busy. Right, you know. That's how they describe your life. Oh God, it's so busy. It's like a badge of honor to be really busy. So what I try to tell everyone except my boss, uh, no, I'm, yeah, I'm not too busy these days. Huh? Yeah, no, no, it's actually just about right. <laughs> you feel like a, they think you're a loser or something. <laughs> no, no, it's actually really nice. <laughs> Because a lot of people don't, you know, the example of sharpening the saw, right? You know, you're trying to cut down a tree, and the saw is really dull, and you're working so hard to cut it down, and somebody comes to you and says, why don't you sharpen the saw? No, no, too busy. <laughs> you know, that would take time to sharpen the saw. So hopefully devotees are sharpening the saw by taking time to chant nicely, take, take, uh, to eat their meals, not like, you know, just shoveling it, in, in, you know, as a bodily thing. But actually, we, we call it prasad sevaya, right? They're actually in the mood of service to Krishna when you're eating, because you're eating his, you know, the remnants of the food that has been offered to him. Yeah. So it's it is definitely let's let's not uh, fool ourselves, for the, especially for those of us who have a job in the outside world. It is not easy to avoid passion and ignorance. 
because the whole world runs on that. But it's possible. You can be, you know, stuck in traffic on the inner loop of the beltway and, you know, be hearing a nice bhajan or, you know, one of Srila Prabhupada's lectures and just be, you know, transformed to the spiritual world where everyone else is just looking like, oh, honking the horn and really uh, upset that they're stuck in traffic. So we, you know, what is the example? We have to learn to uh, carry our weather with us. You know how we, people can get very affected by the weather, right? Just like with that, didn't we have that spell of like a week of really cold weather about a month or two ago, right? And people were just like, you know, starting to think, uh, check on uh, kayak.com for, you know, next trip to Miami or something, <laughs> you know. Um, but hopefully we can jai, sisi gornitai, sitaram, lakshman, hanuman, shishi, radhamadam, mohan. So hopefully we can carry our Krishna conscious weather with us. And whatever the situation in life, um, we can find shelter in Krishna. So we have a few more minutes. Other thoughts, questions, comments? Hare Krishna. An unembodied voice. Yes. Uh, very nicely placed. Uh, the last description was really nice, like how we can engage ourselves completely in Krishna consciousness and still that third activity. Uh, from the last two sentences when I read, I interpreted completely on the other side. I was thinking that maybe Srila Prabhupada is trying to say that whether it's in, um, you know, like analytical study, you use intelligence, which is in the mode of passion. But then the result of that is to concentrate your mind, which is in the mode of goodness, on the super soul. And then, in the last sentence, he says that you engage in devotional service where you use the various sense objects and your senses which are more influenced by the mode of ignorance. So it, you use, no matter which mode, but you use them appropriately in engaging in devotional service and serving the Lord. That's how I was looking at That's it. That's interesting. I'd be a little careful about that. Sure. I don't know if Sankhya, which is an analytical study, the elements could be considered um, passionate. I don't know if that was completely. No, no. I was just saying that it's in the, you use your intelligence to study. Which the intelligence yes. is in the mode of passion. Well, but no, then intelligence you is create, uh, let's, let's clarify that. Sure. Intelligence is not necessarily in the mode of passion. It's created by false ego Okay. in the mode of passion. Right. Thank you. But we can use yes. it in Krishna's service. And, you know, a lot yes. of, you know, we also say brahmanas are in the mode of goodness, goodness. right? And they focus on their use of their intelligence. So we yes. just, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, sure, sure. Um, understand it. Be a little that careful not to read yes. more into it than <laughs> is there. Um, I think we've talked about this before that we want to not read more into Shastra or less into Shastra, but just the right amount. Right, sometimes, like, like with, uh, what Andy was saying before about, um, what was the word that he was used, Prabhupada was using? That you said was more tentative? It appears. It appears. So I'd be careful to read too much into word choice, right? Because um, then we can also take things out of context, right? Uh, we were just reading, I um, wonder if I can find it real quick. The, the last verse, the purport to the last verse of Bhagavad Gita, chapter 8. And so, 
because you can also take things out of context easily, right? So if we look at that, Srila Prabhupada talks about the whole Vedic system and Varnashram and Brahmacharis and Grihastas and then Vanaprastas and Sannyasis and, and uh, you know, the importance of austerity and um, penances and living under the care of a guru and dressing in tree bark if you're a vanaprastha. Okay, so you got to get your attire together, Ma Mantra. In a few years, you'll be a vanaprastha. You have to, you know, Matsu, you go out to, to uh, Target and buy some tree bark for him. Uh, not shaving, etc. And then, so the, he gives us whole two paragraphs on that. So someone could quote that out of concept. This is really important, tree bark, because it's there. And then, in one sentence, he says, the beauty of Krishna consciousness, however, is that by one stroke, by engaging in devotional service, one can surpass all the rituals of all the different orders of life. So we have to know the Siddhanta, we have to know the context in which things are said. And, all, and of course, while we don't read too much, we also don't read too little, obviously, in the Shastra, where you know, Krishna says, surrender unto him. Yeah, you know, but that's like, that's for fanatics, come on. We're not really gonna surrender to Krishna, right? So we have to have that uh, good balance and take the Shastra very seriously, just not try to squeeze things out of one or two words that wasn't the intention of the author. So on that note, are you doing the chanting today? Wow, wonderful. So next week, we are going to read a new chapter, but we're still continuing Sankhya philosophy, 27. How many? There's 33 chapters. Uh, 33 chapters in this canto. Is that right? 33. Yep. So after that, we will have a discussion about where we go from here, and see if we want to adjust the format or this or that. But we'll have done like uh, this is the hundred and ninth class. I feel like an old man, 109th class on the Bhagavatam, because it's there and all, the, all, the, all of them are in soundcloud.com. So uh, we'll, uh, anyway, next week we will continue chapter 27. I'll send out the homework assignment by email. Hare Krishna.